Jonathan Armstrong, and we're joining you for this week's Tech Law 10. So thanks very much for joining us. Um, I'm Jonathan Armstrong. Uh, as I've said, I'm based in London with Cordry Compliance. And joining me is Eric Sinrod, who's over there in California. Now, Eric, you were telling me earlier that you believe that children are our future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. Could you expand? It's a kiddie's crusade. Yes, thank you, Jonathan. This is Eric Sinrod with Dwayne Morris in San Francisco. And, you know, can, you know, our generation, the adults, uh, do what is necessary to affect appropriate uh, protections vis-a-vis -vis, uh, climate change? Uh, can the governments uh, get the job done? Well, apparently some children do not believe so, and they've taken matters into their own hands, Jonathan, and they've gone to federal court here in the United States. And actually, a federal magistrate has just ruled that their climate change lawsuit may proceed. The lawsuit itself was challenged at the initial stage. So let me tell you a little bit more about this, if I may, Jonathan. Um, we have a magistrate by the name of Thomas Coffin, C-O-F-F-I-N, and he's based in the federal trial court in Eugene, Oregon, uh, where the University of Oregon is located, if you don't know. And he just ruled, uh, interestingly, in a case called Juliana versus United States, that this climate change lawsuit uh, can go forward. The lawsuit's been brought by 21 youth. They range, excuse me, they range in ages from 18 to 19 years old. No, did I say 18? Eight, actually eight to 19 Five. years old. Yeah. So we're talking about some youngsters here. Um, and their lawsuit specifically asserts that our federal government here in the U.S. actually is in violation of their constitutional rights to life liberty and property by allowing and indeed allegedly supporting the ongoing production and combustion of fossil fuels. Now the children are not alone in this lawsuit. It's also supported by an organization called Our Children's Trust. And in addition, a gentleman by the name of James Hansen, who's an advocate for climate change and who also was recently arrested with others for protesting the potential storage of natural gas under Seneca Lake in upstate New York also is a plaintiff in the children's lawsuit. So you have these kids, you have this organization called Our Children's Trust, and then you have this uh, pretty notable climate change advocate named James Hansen all on the plaintiff's side saying our government is violating the constitutional rights of children vis-a-vis not doing enough in terms of the production and combustion of fossil fuels and getting that under control. So I'm setting the stage. And mm. what happened was um, the government challenged this lawsuit right at the front end. You can do what's called a, a motion to dismiss, arguing that there really wasn't a cognizable claim and that these children didn't have standing and it just didn't all link up. And so the case shouldn't go forward. But the magistrate disagreed with the government and uh, did not agree that the case should be dismissed out of hand and that the children did have standing, that they stated a cognizable claim. And accordingly, uh, the issue of climate change is up for decision now in federal court. Um, so what did Magistrate Coffin say uh, in reference to the children's case uh, in the face of the government's motion to dismiss? 
and he referred Jonathan to the children's case as an unprecedented lawsuit that involves, and I'm quoting it here, quote, government action and inaction leading to carbon pollution of the atmosphere, climate destabilization, and ocean acidification, close quote. And furthermore, in ruling that the case could go forward, um, Magistrate Coffin said, quote, the debate about climate change and its impact has been before various political bodies for some time now. Plaintiffs give this debate justiciability by asserting harms that befall or will befall them personally and to a greater extent than older segments of society, close quote. So this is how he's saying, Jonathan, that they have standing and they state a true claim, meaning that the case can proceed. He's not ruling on the merits definitively saying they win, but the case goes forward. And he continued, and this is my last um, quote from his interesting decision. He says, quote, it may be that eventually the alleged harms, assuming the correctness of plaintiff's analysis of impacts and global change, will befall all of us. But the intractability of the debates before Congress and state legislatures and the alleged valuing of short-term economic interests despite the cost to human life necessitates a need for the courts to evaluate the constitutional parameters of the action or inaction taken by government. This is especially true when such harms have an alleged disparate impact on a discrete class of society, close quote. So that's very interesting, I think. I mean, he recognizes that global climate change can affect all of us, but it really disproportionately could impact the children because they have a longer time to live with this and the potential harms might be more in the future affecting them more than we adults now. So this decision, of course, really marks the starting line for the case. Uh, the case is far from the finish line, but, um, you know, we'll see what will happen. You know, naturally we can expect there's going to be considerable opposition to the case on the merits as it goes forward by the government, probably with support from the fossil fuel industry. So my last point before I turn it over to you is simply that, you know, now this isn't just a debate uh, in, you know, you know, within uh, legislatures, but now we have a judge, magistrate judge ruling that this is justiciable and it can be decided in federal court. So uh, turning it back to you, I'm curious your thoughts and whether you've seen anything like this uh, in Europe in terms of a legal case. Off the top of my head, I'm not sure that we have. I mean, it seems to me, it, I agree, it's a very interesting case. Um, in uh, From a European perspective, then class actions are certainly increasing in Europe, but they're not really class actions as you might recognize them. And they're still increasing from a small base. Their success has been mixed, I think, in uh, in the main. You know, for example, there was a, uh, a class action over much more trivial things uh, a few years ago in the UK over the mispricing of soccer shirts, which didn't really get the traction at all that its lawyers uh, thought uh, it would, partly, I think, because damages tend to be low. I mean, I think that case was settled for vouchers off new kit, and partly because the cost structures aren't the same in, uh, in, in, in most of Europe, so there's no uh, real incentive to, uh, to, to settle cases.
cases and, 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 as I say, damages a lot. It would be interesting to see whether a case like this could be imported. I mean, as we've said in the past, there are some fledgling class actions relating to data privacy. The Schrems litigation in Austria, which was struck out largely on jurisdictional grounds that the, the venue was wrong, and then another uh, case called Vidal Hall, which is scheduled for our senior court um, this year, I believe, over whether uh, a class action against Google can, can go. We have had from time to time various environmental actions. I was involved right when I was a junior lawyer in a case involving fishing in the North Sea. But those cases tend historically not to go anywhere and they tend to be difficult actions to bring because you know do you select a representative plaintiff who sues on behalf of a class do you seek some sort of class order um, you know suing on behalf of the children of Europe would likely I think be regarded as too vague in any of the courts uh, in, in any of the Euro European jurisdictions but I stand to be corrected by any of our avid listeners uh, who know better. I must admit, the bringing of environmental class actions on behalf of children is not something that appears on my resume as a specialism. But, uh, <laughs> but, yeah. but and, who knows? Yeah. Well, and this could be an unusual case. But, I mean, I will. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, all, all I was saying is, who knows? It is a fascinating action, and we'll see whether the court does decide that they. I mean, presumably, there's going to be an awful lot of expert evidence uh, on, on each side to say whether or not global warming exists and then what the likely consequences are and the likely time period it might be that experts decide that it's something that affects you know, us in 200 years and, and then can a class action fall mm -hmm. to those as yet unborn? Do they become the plaintiffs? Be interesting yeah. to see where the argument stops. That's by stretching it very far, and it's probably not surprising that this case was filed in Eugene, Oregon. If you don't know, I mean, this is a very Eugene is a very liberal pocket of American uh, society, so it's conceivable that if this case, this complaint, were filed somewhere else, another magistrate or a federal judge could simply have said, "No, this is not." cognizable, you don't have standing, you don't state a claim, the case doesn't go forward, but here it will. Um, and these are difficult cases, as you say. I'll just point out one other one. There was a case that came up a couple months ago where there were some Pacific Islanders who were seeking political asylum in New Zealand, and this became a, a court matter, and they were arguing that they were uh, true refugees because their island was disappearing because of global warming and the rising of the sea level. And essentially, you know, without the ability to go somewhere else, they would drown eventually in the ocean. And, you know, do you know what the New Zealand court decided, Jonathan? You want to take a guess or should I just tell you? Uh, yeah, tell me. <laughs> well, I gave you a hint. I, I agree with you. These are difficult cases. The New Zealand court basically said, you do not fit within the classic notion of a refugee. You're not... You know, for example, seeking uh, a new home when you're uh, leaving uh, persecution. You don't have a well-founded fear of persecution if you stay in your home country. And so, sorry, you don't fit within the classic definition. 
the, the islanders were saying, well, look, you know, this is no fault of our own. The industrialized societies caused global warming. It's having an impact on us. Uh, you know, we need to flee a disappearing island. Help. And New Zealand in that particular court case said, not here. So we're going to see all sorts of interesting legal battles. Uh, you know, we've talked about a number of different tech issues, but, you know, certain technology leads to uh, fossil fuel emissions into the atmosphere, which a lot of scientists, probably 99% of them around the world, would say, yes, there's global transformation happening at the climate level. So, you know, if, if it's not going to be addressed elsewhere, it's going to show up in the courts. So this has been, believe it or not, Tech Law 10 number 172. So we're wow. moving along very well. We're not causing any fossil fuel emissions by these podcasts. Uh, we're certainly going to get to 200 and well beyond. I feel honored to always be able to do this with Jonathan, my learned colleague. So I'm Eric Sinrod at Dwayne Morris. You can find me at ejsinrod at dwaynemorris.com. You know you can find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, so probably more. Jonathan, you always do such a great job closing. You have that wonderful voice. You close it down. Here we go. Thanks very much, Eric. That's very kind. Uh, maybe I should just say three things that we haven't talked about this week and why. Firstly, we haven't talked about the New Zealand, uh, the New Zealand-based island in the Pacific that is sinking because of the weight of uh, disreputable companies that are hosted there, according to the Mossack Fonseca breach. We'll maybe re return to that another day. Um, uh -huh. uh, secondly, I guess we haven't talked about the biggest piece of litigation in the UK, because we're currently not allowed to, but we may return to that next week. And thirdly, there's been some really big privacy developments this week. Uh, the privacy shield was rejected by the European Data Protection Regulators. For those of you who've listened to us in the past, I don't really think that's news. I think that was something that we anticipated. So Eric and I think we can't get 10 minutes out of something that isn't news, although uh, from week to week, I'm sure our listeners would say that we do try. And then uh, the very last bit of development uh, is... The GDPR, this General Data Protection Regulation, we've talked about this before. You can listen to earlier podcasts. Again, despite the fact that what some people are saying, this isn't really news. We knew that this was happening. Uh, what will be news is when the GDPR is published. That will be about three weeks' time, and we'll talk about it then. So uh, with what this has been about this week and what this hasn't, uh, all that remains is to thanks for listening. Do feel free to join in on climate change or on any other topic, uh, particularly if you can do that in an ecologically friendly way. Uh, <laughs> I'm uh, Jonathan.Armstrong at CordaCompliance.com, uh, uh, at ArmstrongJP on Twitter. Do connect with us on LinkedIn or the Facebook thing that Eric uses. And all that remains is to uh, uh, thank you for listening. Um, and... Um, uh, let the children's laughter remind us how we used to be. Thanks. Bye now. Very good. Cheers. Bye-bye.